eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, Now, up to to bat, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone. Today I sit down with a six-time All-Star. He won four gold gloves during his Major League Baseball career. And as a member of the Orioles and the Angels Hall of Fame, ladies and gentlemen, Bobby Gritch. Bobby, thanks for coming on the program. All right, good to be here, Brett. You've come a long way from uh, the Angels locker room when uh, you were about, <laughs> what was that, about 12, 13, 14 years old? I'm trying to think. All right. You were... You were in Anaheim. What was your first year? 80, 77? Well, well, my first year was 77. Yeah. Right. And then but dad wow. came over in 82. 82. That makes that, oh. that makes me 12. Oh, that's what I thought about 12. Yeah. So, I remember you had no, this I... spiked hair and you, uh, you, uh, <laughs> you were out of control even then. I was out I of control. You were destined for success because you were a, you were a out of the box thinker, man. You were on your way. You know, it's crazy. You get you get a little bit older and, and you go, for, you're right. I was out of control kid, normal person for a while, out of control. I'm, I'm back to kind of a normal guy again, Bobby. I'm 54. Right. It took me 54 years and I'm kind of a normal person. Kind yep. of. I'm growing into it. You know, I'll be maturing here in just a couple of years. I'm 74. So we're on about the same path. Don't worry about it. <clears throat> um, Starting things off. I thought this was interesting. You played for a lot of different men. I played for a lot of different marriage. I played for Lou Pinella, Bobby Cox, uh, current, current skipper with the Padres, Bob Melvin, uh, Hargrove, Jack McKeon. You played, I looked at your career. <clears throat> you came up with Earl Weaver, right? Uh, you play with Gene mock. Obviously we're going to get into the, that a little bit in your angels time. Dad always has nothing but great things to say about Gene play with Fergozzi, uh, David Garcia, Johnny McNamara. I remember him in Anaheim. Um, how much does the manager make a difference? Do they get too much criticism, too much credit, or too little? Um, you know, I think that um, depending on the team, 
it could be a manager uh, just needs to stay out of the way. Uh, but when a team overachieves and you've seen the kind of talent that that particular team has and they go all the way or they get to the World Series or they win the division when they never really should have, I think that's when you start to look at the manager and you go, you know, with this lineup and that pitching staff, uh, he did a wonderful job. Uh, you know, so I think you've got to look at it from two different perspectives. Uh, you get you get a team with four 20-game winners like Earl Weaver had, and you have the best defensive in, in defense in baseball, and you have clutch hitting like Frank Robinson, Boog, uh, Boog Powell, and Brooks Robinson. Then you kind of look at that and you go, well, you know, Earl kind of stayed out of the way, and George Bamberg did a great job with the pitching staff. Uh Possibly, you know, so I think you have to look at the talent and then and then decide how important that that manager was. I agree with you. It's there is something to be said for getting out of the way, knowing your role is, oh, we don't manage one group of guys like we manage another group of guys. We've both been on. Well, I know I can speak for myself. I've been on young teams. And I've been on those veteran teams. You know, I played for Lupinella. I never played for Earl Weaver. I'm just. You know, I'm in that generation that gets to watch a lot of video of Earl Weaver and wonder what it was really like behind the scenes. I know what it was like with Lou, and it was nonstop entertainment. Yeah. Um, but you give Lou that group of guys, like you were saying, that group of veteran guys that know what they're doing. He was really good at staying out of the way. I mean, he had his antics during the game, which was entertainment for us. Yeah. But when push came to shove, he knew what he had. And, uh, and, and he just ran with it. You know, I remember sometimes coming in the dugout, Bobby, in, in uh, you know, at 7.05. And Lou would look to me and go, Booney, what we got tonight? I said, Lou, just have a seat and let us let us handle that. And he'd look at me <laughs> and go, you, you're right. You got it. You know, so I've had guys like that. But I've also been on teams where, well, we're having a tough time winning a series. And, and different tactics have to be made. But still, the best ones I ever played for were the guys that just read the room. They didn't treat everybody the same. They were... You know, one group, of one guy had had there was a certain way to motivate certain guys and other guys you had to treat differently. And, and in a perfect world, you get the same result by two different ways of going about it. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Um, I think it's it's the ability of the manager, if he has the ability to look around the room, know who he needs to communicate with, know who he needs to settle down, know who he needs to kind of keep focused, et cetera, et cetera. And then the ones that they need a little kick in the butt once in a while. So you've got 25 different personalities over the course of the season, you're going to have probably 32, 35 guys in that locker room with the injuries and whatnot. So I think that your point is uh, well taken in that I think a good manager needs to recognize uh, on an individual basis, uh, how he can get the, the best out of that each individual player and what that player needs. And then you have to look at the overall personality of the team. Um, you, you know, my, my, I go back to Baltimore and Earl Weaver was really fairly non-communicative. I mean, I, he didn't talk to me at, at, at all. I mean, he didn't talk to me for my first two years in the major leagues and he made it really tough on me, really tough on me as a rookie. In fact, in 1976, when I was about to become a free agent, I pulled him aside, uh, about August or September. And I said, Earl, do you realize how you treated me as a young player? 
I said, uh, you know, you didn't talk to me for my first two years. He goes, what? I'm telling you, you didn't. I said, you sent Billy Hunter over to tell me that my sideburns were too long and you needed, I needed to cut them up about a quarter of an inch on the top of my ear there. He, and then and then Billy Hunter came over and said, Bob, you got to play a little bit closer on a double play situation because we want to make sure we get the double play. He sent Billy Hunter over to talk to me. And I said, we have a player here right now. His name is Jim Fuller. He was a big, good-looking Cheyenne Bodie kind of kid from Rochester. He hit about 40 home runs, but he was fairly insecure and kind of nervous. I said, you know, this is the kind of guy that I think you need to really take under your wing, settle him down, talk to him, get him relaxed, etc." He said, you know, Bob, I really appreciate that. I never really realized that I was like that with younger players. So, you know, but Earl had great teams. Now, you also have to give Earl Weaver massive amount of credit because he was one of the first to do his lineup according to past performance. And which I didn't know, and I learned later, is that he actually hired a high school kid to keep stats of our of our how how uh, each of our players hit against the opposing pitching, and so he would start his he would make up his lineup according to that, he would do his switches and his pinch hitting according to that, and he was really one of the first to do that uh, with the relievers as well. We had um, uh, we had uh, oh my gosh Pete Rickert and Eddie Watt. And we had Dick Hall. So we had a seventh, eighth, and ninth inning guy. And this was back in 71, 72, 73. And that was unheard of at the time. Typically, the, line, the, the relievers would come in, Raleigh Fingers, uh, Sparky Lyle, uh, whomever. They would come in in the seventh inning and go two and a third. You know, maybe come in in the eighth inning and go one, one and two thirds. And he was one of the first ones to come in and just bring a guy a righty-righty, lefty-lefty. So that was part of his success as well. So, you know, there was two different parts of Earl Weaver that you have to kind of pay attention to as far as and bottom line is he was his winning percentage was was huge. So that's that's bottom line. That's interesting you say that because today that's that's not out of character. I mean, a lot of teams do that. They do matchups uh, in in your day and in my day. And I know you as an everyday player, things that we certain things we like as everyday players, we like coming to the ballpark, knowing, you know, we know we're in the lineup and usually we're comfortable with a certain part of the lineup. And that if that switches up on a day to day, at least in my generation, if that would switch up, that was almost a sign. You know, if I was hitting third and then the next day I was hitting fifth, my, my thought was, wait a minute, did I do something wrong when I was hitting third? You know, I know I went one for three, but did you see anything? So little things like that can affect players. Back in the day, you mentioned a guy like Raleigh Fingers, that type of player. Uh, the star players that you mentioned early with a Frank Robinson, uh, uh, Boog Powell. He would mix them up in the lineup, like you're hitting third one day, and you're hitting second, or or was it he would a, flip a, a, to the pitcher? To the pitcher. Yeah, he would flip flop in third and fourth. So um, I think that what he would do is hit the right hander. Frank Robinson, I do believe, would hit third against lefties. And maybe his vice versa. I can't even remember. All I know is that he would flip-flop the righty to the lefty. So Frank would be third one day and Boog would be fourth. And the next day for facing a lefty, it would be vice versa. So uh, that was about the only thing between those two guys. But he would switch up uh, first and second, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth. And it, depending on the pitcher, uh, I would hit anywhere between first, second, fifth to eighth. I don't know if I hit eighth in Baltimore, but anyway. So I, I came in ballpark kind of thinking, well, I'm most likely going to be second. But if it's somebody that I have trouble with, I could be like sixth or seventh or eighth. Sixth or seventh. So Weaver did that. And 
And, and you know, he wasn't going to talk to you about it. He was just going to say, you're in there, wear it, wear it, Bobby. <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, it, it's, it's funny. I, I have to tell you the story. This is so hilarious. I'm a 21 year old kid and I'm playing in Rochester and I'm hitting 383 and I get, I get called up. I have, I, I, I get called into Cal Ripken's. He's our manager in Rochester and the locker room kid comes here. Cal Ripken wants to talk to you. And I knew I was getting called the big leagues. I knew it right away. And it was like June 26th or something. So I go in and I sit down and he said, how you doing, Bobby? I said, I'm going to the big leagues, aren't I? <laughs> he said, yeah, you are. I said, awesome. So that was Kyle Ripken's dad, you know, and uh, it was it was pretty cool. So anyway, I pack myself, fly into Baltimore next day, take me straight out to the ballpark, three o'clock in the afternoon. I go to the stadium, never been there in my life. I got my suitcase and I got my, my baseball bag. Where's the locker room? There it is. You know, I walk down this hallway and it says, uh, players uh, um, locker room. I start to go in. It's three o'clock in the afternoon. Nobody's there. The door's kind of open. I'm getting ready to go in. But I look to my left. It says manager's office. And the door was about, door was kind of ajar. And I look in there and there at the desk, Earl Weaver was sitting there and he was writing some stuff down. I figured it was a lineup or he's working on his, you know, his matchups or something. I just pushed the door open just a little bit. And I just stood there and I just knocked on the frame of the door. And he looked up and he goes, what do you want? And I went, I, I, I just want to tell you, I just got here. And he goes, is that all? And I said, yeah, that, that's all. And that was my welcome to the big leagues as a 21-year-old kid. He didn't get up out of his chair, didn't come shake my hand, didn't, didn't welcome me to Baltimore, didn't say, dude, you've been hitting 383, man, you're getting great. And they, they sent me down to AAA that year to play second base. I was playing second base every single night. And so uh, I go and sit down, just kind of shook up like, but that was a great welcome, right? So then the rest of the team comes in about a half hour later, blah, blah, blah. The lineup card goes up right next to my locker because that was the door out to the out to the um, uh, the field. And hitting fifth, playing shortstop, Bobby Gritch. I hadn't thrown a ball from shortstop since spring training about about March the 31st. And so I thought, okay, my first game in the big leagues, I'm playing shortstop. He didn't you know, he didn't say, he didn't say that was that was um June 26th of 1970, I think he talked to me about May of 72. And and that was my welcome to the big leagues, man. And it was like unbelievable. I was so intimidated by him. And it was so hard for, I was the youngest kid on the team by far. The next youngest guy was Jim Palmer. I was the only single guy. Everybody was married with three and four kids. It was a very conservative team. And he made it literally really tough on me. And and I uh, I struggled to kind of get myself you know, in the big leagues, sort of you know, get my get my footing, and didn't didn't play that great that those two months I was up there. I played okay, but not that great. Anyway, interesting story about about Earl the Pearl, but uh, you know that's that's that was a little side note. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, it's interesting because I came up, you know, I had Lou early. Lou, Lou 
and I talk about this too much. Lou to this day is my favorite manager I've ever played for. And I played for a lot of great guys. You know, I love the Bruce Bochies of the world. You know, I got to play for Bobby Melvin. Uh, so there's a lot of guys that I liked to play for, but Lou's by, far and away my favorite. And, but it wasn't always that way. When I got to the big leagues, you know, and I'm a young player and I'm this, you know, I'm the heir apparent and I'm coming and I coming with fanfare. <clears throat> Lou wasn't having it. He didn't care about this little, this young, you know, cocky rookie. He was going to, he was going to test me and he did, man. And it was tough. I was speak when spoken to sit in the front of the bus, shut up. And that wasn't my personality. And I, you know, I, I, I earned a little, I, I earned probably more trouble than I really needed, but I look back on those times. I was a young kid. I was as sure as you could be about, about oneself, uh, but I had a lot to learn and I did learn and I got my butt kicked and I got humbled and I got knocked to my knees and I got back up and I look back at those times and I think, you know, I, I don't know that I'd have it either any other way. I think it, taught me a lot about life it, it, it was a growing up process it was tough love because there was no coddling like you said with earl there was no coddling with lou it was you know he'd send me down because i'd swing at a ball over my head with a runner on third and less than two outs and i'd yell at him you forget how hard it is lou and oh all right you're gonna talk to me that way i'm gonna send you back to the minor leagues so i went through that today's game is different and i often think about the two you know, I think the way I came up, the way you came up, you had to earn everything. Nowadays, it seems as a rookie, it's kind of like, oh, don't say that to him. Don't say this. It's the opposite of tough love. And I wonder if there is a positive to that, because it made me think a little bit and go, well, doesn't it make sense? Let's say you've got a young, star, talented player at mm -hmm. 21 coming to the big leagues and you treat him like he's been there forever. Maybe that is a better way to make him comfortable and maybe he plays better earlier in the process than us. It was like, all right, we don't care. You mentioned you were hitting 383 at AAA. Well, you know how big leaguers think. They don't care what you did in AAA. It's like right. you've got to show us at this level. Right. And, and for a lot of reasons, you know, that's the times we came up in. And I agree with that philosophy. But the new philosophy is not that way. You see how these rookies now, they come to the big leagues and they do whatever they want. And at think, first, as older players, we 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 don't like that. But once you think about the 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 goal behind it is, isn't it better to make our best players, even if they're young, feel as comfortable as they can, as quick as they can, so maybe they produce for this team and add to the bottom line quicker? I don't know. It's two different arguments. Yeah, if I were a manager, I would take my own experience uh, uh, into consideration and think about myself and it would be like, okay, what kind of a manager would you have played better under as a kid coming up at 21 years old? And, um, and, and that's the kind of manager that I would want to be if I were in that position. And my conclusion was the biggest, the biggest hurdle I had was getting comfortable and feeling accepted and getting rid of the nerves and, uh, getting used to the much bigger ballpark, more people, more media, everything was bigger, faster, and it was a lot thrown at you that you needed all the support you could get. And so I would definitely take the side of not coddling, but I would certainly be on the side of huge support, communication, everything I could do about making him feel comfortable, calming him down, the nerves, 
hey, don't worry about it, man. You're a rook. Just give us your, you know, here's what you're going to do. I want you to play the game. It's just 60 feet. You know, every they throw the same freaking ball, same distance. That's all, you know, all kinds of good stuff like that to where everything that I could possibly do to calm that guy down. And I firmly believe that is how you're going to get the best performance out of a young player who's who's uh, intimidated and nervous. That That's my own opinion. Well, I'm glad it's not too often. We've had a few, but uh, I get a fellow second baseman on the program. There and, you go. <laughs> uh, we both played it for a lot of years. Uh, first of all, what do you think right off the top? Um, I don't know about you, but the but the sliding straight in and not able to take out the second baseman, I'm kind of offended by it. <laughs> and I'm not offended by much, but I just think, you know, as a second baseman, we kind of pride ourselves. Where, where do we make our money? Turning that big double play and hanging in there when that guy's trying to kill us and knock us in the left field. That's where you separate the average second baseman from the great second baseman. Who can turn that big double play with it all on the line in the ninth inning? And I took pride in it. Guys trying to take me out and they couldn't take me out. You might be able to flip me up in the air, but if I did it correctly, you couldn't take me out. Now I look at it, and and by the way, the physicality of the kids these days, 2023, I, I don't know about you, but I always used to size myself up against my peers. And there weren't too many guys I could pick out in my generation that I really thought that guy really plays the heck out of second base. I watch today the physicality of these kids. It's unbelievable that the, the acrobats they, they pull out there. I mean, it is just, and it's different. They they're brought up playing third base, shortstop, second base, and they can play all three. But they're they're really athletic. I want to talk to you about what do you think about that rule? Do you feel like I do, or do you have a different take on it? I have a uh, my my take is that I um, I look back when I was playing, and I remember when uh, the guy in front of me hit a home run. Uh, quite often, the next pitch was going to be at you or up run yeah. or. Hit or something like that. I hit uh, five grand slam home runs in my career. And three of the guys, the next time I faced them, and it wasn't even that game, it was like in another series or a week later when they came out to California or whatever, they tried to hit me in the head because I hit a grand slam on Jim Perry, Gaylord Perry, and uh, Dyer. I didn't, what, I just remember three different guys. And I, I often thought of it. You know, if you strike me out three times, do I get to go out there at 30 feet and throw the bat at your freaking head? I mean, I don't get it. Okay, I, I did, never got the thing about getting thrown at. Uh, I thought it was really stupid, to be very honest with you. And I actually really like the fact that they can't ruin your baseball career and blow your knee out on a double play. I absolutely like that. And I like the fact that our catchers are now protected uh what was that great catcher in san francisco that just about ruined his career posey, posey. there you go the posey rule i think that to me i i'm so glad to see that because you're going to play 162 games if you, if you can last 10 years you're going to play 2000 games and so is my career going to be ended june 10th of my 5,000th game when the score is 10 to 3 and there's some 210 hitter going to come in and blow my knee out over over a run in the middle of my career. It's senseless. And, and, I, and I really am glad that they're protecting their players now. I think the fans love to see their good players and to have a great player have his uh, career in jeopardy over one run in a game. To me, it was like, 
why don't we protect our players and why don't we make it so these guys can play 162 games for 15 years? And I was all for, in my mind, even when it was back hardcore baseball, I could play hardcore baseball with anybody. Okay. I mean, I would get, I got hit 20 times in, in, a, in one half of a season because I was too close to the plate. And they literally drove me off the plate because I was going to get my career wounded. So I had to get off the plate. But, um, you know, I took it like anybody and I could take it like anybody. But I just thought to myself deep inside, it's like, this is really stupid. This is like, you know, this is like macho man as, a, as opposed to just being smart. And you have a great product here. You should protect your assets. You want to have these guys on the field every day so the fans can see them 162 games and buy season seats and your, and your advertisers can advertise them for 10 years. And so that was always my feel. And I also really like the fact that these guys, they're facing 97, 98 miles an hour. They're getting a little bit bigger piece across the face. We had a kid uh, uh, just the other day that, that got it right here in the face, our, our right fielder. Um, uh, shoot, I can't even think of his name right now. Uh, he Now he's, you know, he might be in jeopardy the rest of his career. Um, and I also like the pads that guys are wearing. You know, Barry mm -hmm. Bonds is a very good example. He was able to do what he did because of the fact that he did have pads on. And what, isn't that incredible to be able to watch that guy hit like that? It was unbelievable. And the only way that he could do that is by wearing some pads so he couldn't get injured. But he was in the batter's box for the most part. And I broke my hand here twice. I lost... I lost six weeks because I took an inside pitch and I broke that bone in 81. And then I lost six weeks. I got hit on inside pitch and broke that bone in 83. So I missed 12 weeks of my career by getting hit on the back of my hand. And so not, and then after my second time, I put some fiberglass in there and I'll say it'll never break again, which it never did. But I love the pads back here. I love the pads here. I love the thing up here. Uh, that's that's my deal is protect the players with much padding as you can possibly get and get out there for 162 games and play every freaking day. That is an interesting answer from Bobby Grid. I didn't think I was going to get that because let's go yep. back to when I was 12. Uh, we just came from Philly. And, and as a kid, I, I lived such a cool childhood. I mean, I got to hang out with that whole Philly crew. Then I came to Anaheim and I got to hang out with you guys. You know, it was Bobby and Foley and uh, I got a little bit with Rod Carew and Don Baylor and Freddie Lynn and Reggie. So I had that, that classic on, you know, just special childhood. But when I thought of Bobby Gritch, I was thinking about this before the podcast. I'm like, what do I remember about Bobby? I remember his sideburns. I remember his mustache. Yeah. And I remember he was kind of a badass. He was always fighting. I always thought Bobby Gritch and Bobby Knopp. Every time there was there was a there was a dust up, you were right in the middle. So so that answer to me is, I, I you caught me off guard because I thought no, Bobby's the kind of this this badass that that was a brawler, and you were a brawler. I I've seen footage where hey, you you mess with Grich's team, he's going to be in the middle of it, and that was a big part of your. Uh, that was a big part of your career. I see. I've seen you in dust ups all over the place. Well, I was usually drawn into them. The one I got in Minnesota, uh, Roger Erickson threw at me three times. Okay, he missed me once, and Gene Mock was calling for it over in the dugout. He goes, "That a boy? This is the guy we want." Because Frank Tanana had hit Bombo Rivera the inning before, so I was the sacrificial lamb coming up with two outs and nobody on the next inning. So I could hear Mock right over here in the dugout yelling at this kid. Hey, this is the one we want. Let's get this guy right here. This, and I looked over. I go, what? what? What's going on? I didn't even think about it, you know. And a ball went behind my back, 
And he goes, that a boy, that's the way to do it. I go, that's the way to do it. What, 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 what's going on here? The next pitch was at my ribs. I go, oh, I get it. It's payback for Bombo Rivera. So he missed me with the first two. And I say, well, I'm not going to sit up here like a Cupid doll at a, at a county fair. I got to do something. So I, uh, I said, well, if he throws at me again, I got I to gotta go. You know? got to go get him. So he throws the 2-0 pitch right down the middle, you know, uh, uh, a room service fastball. And I and I'm because I was taken all the way, thinking I was going to get thrown at my head again. And I was just taken. He threw it right down the middle. I'm like, oh, damn. All right. Well, he had his two chances at me. It's over. Let's let's play ball, right? So I get in again. He throws another ball right at my ribs again. So I looked around, and the catcher kind of took off. And I just had to go. I mean, so then that was that was that was the brawl, you know, that what that I got into. And the other time, I was at second base, and uh, there was a, uh, a Wayne Tollison in, in Texas, but it was a rookie, and we had the team meeting beforehand because it's the first time we're facing Texas during the course of the season. So you always go over the team the first time you're facing them. They talked about this Wayne Tollison, a rookie who was a great wide receiver of football. He had a lot of speed. He was going to steal bases like crazy. Sure enough, first time up in the first inning, he steals second base. Well, over in their dugout, they had a team meeting as well. And uh, they were going over everybody. Then Merv Rettman, who was a teammate of mine in Baltimore, stood up at the end of the meeting. He said, hey, if you get on second base, watch out because Gritch will knock his, he'll put his knee down. And he'll block you out from second base on a pickoff. And so Doug Rader was the new uh, manager there. And Doug Rader got up and said, somebody knock him on his butt. We're playing hard baseball this year. And so first inning, uh, Tollison steals second base. And I went, wow, this is the guy I got I to gotta protect. You know? So I get over close to, the, uh, close to the bag on the first pitch, and he was off pretty far. So Bill Travers, I put on the pickoff like this just to show him the pickoff. And I go back over, and I gave him the whole, the whole bag. I mean, I... I just straddled the bag and I reached out to get the ball. It was pitched. It was thrown right to me. Well, Tallison steps on the bag. He comes across the bag and he pops me with his elbow right in my jaw and my hat flies off and I drop the ball and I go, I go, I go, what was that all about? And he says, we're just playing hard baseball this year. Hard baseball. I said, all right. I said, I got your hard baseball. <laughs> threw the ball back to Travers and Travers was looking at me like, what was that? And I go like this. I go, well, let's just try it again. Like that. He goes, okay, we will. And so I go back over and Travers looks and went, you know, it's a spin play, right? So as soon as he spins, I start running over and I look and Travers threw the ball about 20 feet in the air so I could have a free run at this guy. And I went across and I just freaking clotheslined him and he just went and I jumped on him and, and he tried to grab my legs. And so I'm kind of beat on his on his back, and then it was like 15 guys just dogpile after that. But you know, I mean, there was no. There's your hard baseball. Yeah, that was your hard baseball. So you know, and it's funny thing about that putting the knee down. I would I would never do it unless it was like the eighth or ninth inning, and it was like we had a two to one lead, you know, or a two to two ball game where the game was on the line, and I had to get that guy off second base somehow. That's and I did it maybe you know, two or three times a year at the most. And so there was no way I'm going to be doing it in the first inning. But anyway, so that that's that's two of my brawls. I feel I'm I'm the innocent guy there. You know, I'm just trying to play innocent. I just got drawn into it, okay? You got drawn <laughs> into it. I love it. 2400 Sports is an Odyssey company. 